Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest uh, vodcast. And this will be on CT of the stomach, a very classic CT application. And this was a talk in part that I started putting together for the UCSD meeting, which I gave literally about two days ago. I've expanded it just a touch. And let's see what we can do. So we often speak about the stomach as one of those organs, as many, where the key to successful interpretation is really study technique and protocol design. And when you think about the stomach, we talk about distension, opacification, the display of the information, and enhancement patterns. So let's look at each of those. Classically, we would talk about the stomach wall thickness in the 7 to 10 millimeter range. Though currently with high-res CT and good gastric distension, we're talking about 5 millimeters or less. But the caveat, of course, is the stomach must be well distended. If the stomach is not distended, there is no magic number for wall thickness. Here's a good example of the stomach distended. You barely could measure the wall thickness. It looks the same in the fundus, in the body, in the antrum. You can see it very nicely. Now we do know that there are certain areas that are more challenging, and we'll speak about them as we go along. And the areas typically are the fundus, particularly in older patients, as well as the antrum. But normally, in most patients, good distension, you really have a nice, thin gastric wall. And when you distend the stomach, not only does it give you the nice, thin wall, but it allows you to detect even the smallest of pathologies, in this case, this six millimeter gastric polyp, very nicely shown. When I do dedicated studies of the stomach, I use water or a neutral contrast agent like water, but you can use positive contrast agents and routinely they're good and there's certain advantages to positive agents, but whether it's neutral or positive contrast agents, you really need to distend the stomach. There's no magic. Because when I give you a case like this and I ask you, is this pathology or not? You can't tell me. Could it be lymphoma, adenocarcinoma, or is it simply normal? What exactly is it? I have no idea, and there's no way you can possibly tell when you're doing, when you're doing the stomach and the distension looks like that. Similarly, what about this case? Is this lymphoma, menetriase disease? Is this normal? You know, your report is going to be mumbling a whole lot of possibilities, but it's going to create all sorts of issues and all sorts of problems. A couple more images in that case. Even putting it in the coronal, 3D, it doesn't matter. In fact, here it looks like there's some maybe enhancement in the wall or there are prominent vessels in the wall. What exactly is going on? I don't know. You can't be definitive. Well, in this case, this patient was going for endoscopy, and so we could not give the patient water to distend the stomach. Uh, they were going to do EUS looking at a pancreatic lesion. And just to show you, here's the patient several months earlier. So we knew what the stomach looked like. Look at those multiple polypoid lesions. These were adenomatous polyps, multiple polyps, 100 polyps or so in the stomach, diffusely distributed. Look how obvious it is in this case, but look how impossible it was when the stomach was not distended. You need to have the stomach distended. In this era of decreasing radiation dose, we don't want to scan the patient twice. You want to get the best study correctly the first time. Gastric distension is critical. We give 1,000 cc's of water. The last 250 is when the patient is getting on the table. When you do that, when the patient has polypoid lesions, this patient has familiar polyposis, look how nicely you can see all of the polyps in 3D or in 2D in the stomach. There's no mistaking the polyps. And remember, if you didn't have the stomach distended, there's no way you would recognize these. And here's just a couple more images showing you that patient. Again, the right study done the right way gives you the answers you need. 
Now, if you ask me about the stomach and pitfalls, the antrum is always pr difficult because it's very hard to get good distension of the antrum. And Perry Pinkard wrote an article a few years ago making that point that the antrum normally is thicker. And he gave up to 12 millimeters. And this case nicely shows that. The key with the antrum is when you have symmetric thickening or it looks perfectly symmetric under 12 millimeters, normal enhancement, it's normal. And this is just a nice example showing you from the axial to the coronal how the antrum looks. And here's a few more coronal and 3D views. It's symmetric. The enhancement is equal. Everything is equal. This is a classic example of a normal antrum. Do not confuse this with pathology. Obviously, it's thicker than the rest of the stomach. Look at the fundus and body in this patient. But that's okay. That's a normal appearance, just something to be aware now, the importance of being able to distend the stomach allows you to pick up pathology. So, for example, in this case, patient with weight loss, we were looking for some problem. Well, the fundus and body look fine, but look at the antrum. The antrum is thickened. Now, you could argue and say, could this just be normal antrum? Well, you'll notice that the thickening is asymmetric, right? You see how it's asymmetric? And when you look at the coronal, look how obvious it is. This is a patient with infiltration of the antrum of the stomach by tumor. It was an adenocarcinoma. But look how obvious it is. Imagine lack of distension. You would not have made the call. And again, also not to confuse the antrum here with quote-unquote a normal antrum. When you see antral involvement, here's another case. It's usually asymmetric, as in this case. It's not that first symmetry that I showed you initially. In this case, you can also see food matter in the stomach. I always use food as a good guide. And yes, I understand the patient could have eaten a Taco Bell five minutes before the CT scan, and you would see stuff in the stomach. But the patients, we like to have them not eating. We have them NPO. They can have fluids but not eating a meal for two to three hours. When you see lots of food in the stomach, you have to wonder if there's delayed gastric emptying. Sometimes gastroparesis can do this, but in a case like this, you can speak to the patient. Have you eaten recently? The patient had said no. It was simply infiltration and gastric outlet obstruction in part. And a very nice example here. Again, the antral involvement, the stranding around the antrum. You want to be careful with stranding, suggesting perforation. If you've had a recent biopsy, stranding is indeed very common. And here is that same case in a coronal view. You very nicely see the asymmetric thickening, the infiltration. There really is no problem making the diagnosis of an antral adenocarcinoma and the food matter doing to, being due to delayed gastric emptying. So let's just target again, looking at designs. I mentioned 1,000 cc's of water, given over about a half an hour in total. The last given when the patient's getting on the table, the last 250 cc's, that is. We always use IV contrast, about 100 to 120 Omni 350, injected close to 5 cc's a second. For many cases of the stomach, you can get by with venous phase imaging. Other cases, particularly issues with GI bleeding, particularly when you're looking for uh, not simply an adenoCA or staging adenoCA, then dual phase imaging can indeed be very valuable. A couple pitfalls. I mentioned why we don't like food in the stomach. You see the model density in the stomach? It's food layering out, easy to recognize. But when you start doing some 3D imaging, whether it's food or if the nurse on the floor gave the patient some positive contrast, 
You could recognize it, but if you do the 3D, it gives you kind of really funny looks. The flocculation of the contrast almost simulates lesions. So you want to be careful. If you have food or fluid in the stomach or contrast material, it can create all sorts of artifacts that can indeed be very problematic and potentially lead to a pitfall in diagnosis. And here's just one more example with residual food matter in the stomach. Again, three hours NPO works very well. Water is good, obviously. You get good distension of the stomach and bowel, and you hydrate the patient, so there's no issues with contrast nephropathy for the most part. But again, very important. You also need to be aware of sometimes there are pitfalls of things people eat. One of them is a pill, particularly iron pills. It sits posteriorly. You can recognize it, but if you look quickly, sometimes it looks like a site of bleeding. Sometimes it looks like a polyp. Sometimes it looks like an ulcer. Very nice 3D appearance there. But here it is with its low-density uh, gelatin capsule around it, seen in both uh, axial and coronal type perspective, very nicely shown. Now, another pitfall in terms of the stomach is the following case. And I've seen this related to the pancreas as well as the stomach. It's a patient who was sent to Hopkins to biopsy a gastric mass. And if you look quickly at the gastric fundus, there is a mass present or something that looks like a mass. But then as you look more carefully, you notice the patient has cirrhosis, and you notice this is arterial phase imaging. When I'm scanning arterial phase imaging in a cirrhotic patient, beware of fake outs due to varices. Varices often don't opacify early, and it can simulate a mass or can simulate adenopathy. So in this case, side by side, think about this image, and 30 seconds later, Look at the large varices. So the patient did not have a gastric mass. There was no need for biopsy. This patient had GI bleeding due to portal hypertension with large varices in the lower esophagus and gastric fundus. Just a very nice example of that. But look what kind of mistake you could have made by looking at the initial images. Again, it's very important when you have portal hypertension or cirrhosis. If you do arterial phase imaging, be careful before you call something pathology. It's very easy to be simply large collateral vessels. Now, when we do venous phase imaging, if that's our only study, we're going at about 50 to 60 seconds, depending on patient's age and cardiac output. For many cases, however, we will do dedicated stomach studies with dual phase imaging, and then we're typically going at about 30 seconds arterial and 60 to 70 seconds venous. Now, we surely will do dual phase imaging focusing on the arterial phase in patients with GI bleeding. Now, when you look at arterial and venous phase, and we'll stick with adenocarcinoma, several things are clear. One, the venous phase is best for detecting liver mets. They're hypovascular. The venous phase also is often very helpful in separating nodes from vessels because the vessels all become opacified, particularly in the face of cirrhosis, as I showed you. And sometimes when you're looking and trying to stage the depth of infiltration of the tumor, arterial phase is just too early because there's not enough enhancement in the stomach. So in this set of images, left is arterial phase, right is venous phase, you can see better the enhancement of the mucosa and submucosa on the venous phase imaging. It's too early on the arterial phase imaging. And so when you want to look carefully at the venous phase, you can see really nicely in the coronals or axials, the differential enhancement of mucosa and submucosa. You can see depth of invasion and penetration which is really something you don't appreciate on the very early phase images. Four to five minutes usually works well for seeing that, and this is a very nice example of that. Now in terms of protocol, which I'm telling you piece by piece, 
since we do reconstructions, as you've seen already, you need to go with thin sections. 0.75 millimeters every 0.5 works very nicely in our experience. That's most of our protocols at Hopkins in terms of parameters. That works really well. You can do 3 by 3s for looking at the axials, but you need to look at the 0.75 by 0.5. That is critical. And as we speak about how we look at the images, we go far beyond axial to 2D multiplanar and 3D imaging. So an example here, GI bleeding, large varices. Initially, a mass is in the stomach. Well, what is it? When you look very carefully, it's enhancing. And when you look at all of the images, this patient had large varices, and these were varices in the gastric fundus. They were the cause of the patient's bleed, and the patient's portal hypertension needed to be taken care of, but there was no evidence of a gastric tumor. You can see in the coronal views, it almost looks like a gastric tumor, but it's simply the varices pushing in. And that's a mistake you need to be very, very careful of, particularly with early phase imaging. You may not appreciate you're dealing with varices. And here, of course, you very nicely can see you are, and you can see directly into the stomach the extent of those varices. Now, almost everything I've showed you to date has been with water as a neutral contrast agent. When would I use a positive contrast agent like Omni 350? There are a number of good times. Well, surely, if I'm not giving IV contrast, I'll use a positive contrast agent. But if I'm looking for a fistula perforation, here's an example. There's something coming off the stomach, extending toward the patient's splenic flexure. I'm not sure. Both positive contrast, look how nicely I can see the fistulous tract in this patient with tumor infiltrating posteriorly. Again, the positive nature of the contrast works very well. Or in this case, this patient had pneumoperitoneum on plain films, you see the ascites, you see the pneumoperitoneum on CT, but then you see exactly where the contrast is extravasating from. You can see the patient's extravasation very nicely seen. And this was a ulcer that had perforated. Again, with water, you wouldn't be able to see exactly where the leak was. You would know there was a leak. You would see the pneumoperitoneum, obviously. You need a CT to uh, tell you that. But it would be much trickier. So with a positive contrast, it's really ideal. And you have to remember now, you say, well, positive contrast in the peritoneal cavity, uh, hypake was a problem. Gastrographin was a problem. Omnipake does not cause any issues. It does not cause any peritonitis. And so if you do see extravasation, it's not going to be a clinical issue. But look how nicely you can show exactly where the patient's ulceration and perforation were. So then we've gone some of the basic stuff. Let's now go into tumors. And let's start with gastric adenocarcinoma. Worldwide, 650,000 deaths a year. That's massive. In the U.S., for a number of reasons, the numbers are decreasing over the past 60 years. It's not a disease of younger patients. It's usually someone over 40. And one of the problems, it often presents late with disease spread. There are certain risk factors. The one we think about most is H. pylori infection, which increases risk between three and six times. Other things, pernicious anemia, menetriase, post-resection stomach cancers, are all indeed possibilities. When you look at the uh, distribution of gastric adenocarcinoma, antrum, body, and fundus are about equal. Diffuse infiltrations in 10%. It used to be thought that the body was number one, but now it's fairly equal. When you try to stage a patient, it depends on how well you do your study. Study protocols are critical. Scan protocols are critical. And then, of course, how you interpret the protocols. When we stage the patients, we look at the primary tumor, local spread of disease, maybe nodes, maybe carcinomatosis, as well as distant metastasis. 
So if you look at adenocarcinoma, what do you see? range of appearances from small lesions to diffuse lesions. So what do you start with? Focal thickening, then a polypoid lesion, diffuse wall thickening, bulky tumors with or without ulcerations, diffuse infiltration. There's no doubt you can easily pick up the larger tumors. Sometimes the challenges in the smaller tumors. You can have a CT staging with T1, minimal wall thickening, T2, minimal moderate wall thickening without spread to soft tissues around stomach, and then T3, moderate wall thickening with perigastric spread, and then T4, infiltration of adjacent organs. And CT is pretty good. There are some challenges, particularly near T2 and T3 sometimes. Um, one question always is, how early can you pick up gastric cancer? People have tried to come up with criteria, and usually one sonometer is a good criteria for picking up cancer with 100% sensitivity. The problem is the specificity is low, 50%, because you tend to call under distension, you tend to call inflammatory disease. However, when you look carefully, if you have wall thickening, but it's focal, eccentric, and enhancing, then it's always almost going to be tumor. So just a little bit of wall thickening with nothing else, it can be problematic. But when you see this kind of wall thickening, eccentric, you've got a thinking tumor. So here, look how easy this is here. Mass in the stomach, lobulations, ulcerations, that's going to be carcinoma. There's no if, ands, or buts. There's no trick. You can argue, could this be lymphoma? It looks like adenocarcinoma. A bulkier case here, large bulky tumor, body of stomach, ulcerations. There's no trick. That's adenocarcinoma with ulcerations. No problem. Very nicely shown on the 3D images. And again, the infiltration, compare normal stomach with the lobulations. There's nothing this could be but tumor infiltration. And yes, we'll argue perhaps occasionally, am I thinking about metastasis versus lymphoma versus primary adenocarcinoma? And depending on clinical history, things may come up, but there's no confusion between normal and abnormal. I will admit for very subtle thickening, and there's lots of articles in the Japanese literature, that's always been a challenge. But beyond that, it's typically not going to be a problem. And you can see in this case an example. You look at the axial images, there's wall thickening by the greater curvature. And you can see as you look at the stomach, there it comes down from the uh, GE junction downward. And you can see it's infiltration around the stomach. Now, it's so much easier. You know the patient's well distended. When you look at the coronals, you see the infiltration coming down from the GE junction. And as I carried multiple views, you can see the asymmetry of the gastric wall thickening. Here's tumor infiltration yellow. And then we can see the, the uh, normal in red. And look how obviously different the areas look. Very, very important. Another example, look at the GE junction. There's faint calcifications. When you see soft tissue thickening and faint calcifications, you're really worrying. But look how much more worrisome it is in the coronal view. Now you really see the extent of disease. That's obviously a bulky gastric cancer with calcifications is mucinous adenocarcinoma, a very, very classic example, okay? Now, beyond that, let's talk about nodes. When we want to stage patients with gastric adenocarcinoma, we need to look at the nodes. But I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't we take a five-minute break? We'll pick it up here. We'll let you get some coffee or something. Take a donut, a snack, whatever you want. Come right back. I will get started with the staging of uh, gastric cancer. See you in a moment.